0: Well welcome to the well. Welcome back from spring break you guys. Uh, Does anybody else feel like it's been forever since we've been here at the well? It feels like that to me but that's also because I was sick the week before spring break so now it feels like I haven't been here in like six years or something. But uh, anyway it's great to be back. It's great to see you guys. Great to be back here in this room. I love you guys. I'm excited to be here tonight. Uh, Tonight, we're going to continue in our series uh, of the semester, Rooted in the Psalms, Uh, and our hope this semester, as we dive into different Psalms um, week after week, we are kind of asking the question or desiring to have our lives be rooted in these words. These psalms were written, you know, 4,000 years ago, but they're still relevant to us and our lives today. And what would it be like if our lives were really rooted in the words we find in these psalms? So the psalm we're going to look at tonight is Psalm 66. So please turn to Psalm 66. And if you do not have a Bible and would like one, we recommend that. You can go ahead and raise your hand. we got some people in the back that would love to hook you up with a Bible uh, if you have a technological device that has a Bible on it, we support that, so you can use that as well. Psalm 66. Anybody else need a Bible? Going once, going twice. Back row over here? Maybe? No. Nathan, lying. Psalm 66. Uh, I love this psalm for several reasons. So Stacy was reading over the teaching and giving it a thumbs, you know, up earlier today. And she goes, hey, you didn't mention this. And I'm like, oh yeah, I don't know where that fits though. So I'm just going to say it now to insert it because it fits here, right? Uh, we love the psalm. The psalm was like our wedding theme. So anyway, there's that. I inserted it. There you go. Uh, psalm 66, starting at verse 1. Shout with joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praise to your name. Did you, did you hear that? Did you hear, did you hear those words? Did you feel it? You feel the excitement from these words or the passion from these words? Let's, let's try that one more time, okay? Just listen maybe this time rather than follow along. Just listen to these words. Shout with joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth, all of it, bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praise to your name. Woo! Woo. Yeah! Come on now. Okay, so that's kind of cool, right? When we gather here at the well every week, that's one of the things we do. We sing praise to his name. Why do we do that? Why? Why do we sing why do we worship take take a minute or two and talk to one or two people around you and just wrestle with that question for a second why do we do this all right why do we sing praise to his name and Marcus sec, go okay i would love to hear a couple of your answers so go ahead and you know, raise your hand and I'll call on you. You can shout it out. Why do we sing here at the well? Why do we sing praises to his name? Because There you go. Very good. Very good. That's a great answer. I like that. Why else? Because he deserves it. Somebody over here had their hand. It's the least we can do. I see a hand over here somewhere. No? Because what? Because he's a good father. We sing praise to you, we sing praise to your name. It's a tradition that we have. We do this, but I think it's good for us to think for a minute why? Really, why do we do this? Um, we sing praise to his name because of who he is. We sing because of what he has done or is doing. We sing praise to give him honor. We sing praise because we love him. We sing praise to draw near to him or maybe try to become more like him. These are some of the reasons why maybe that we sing praise to his name. So John Piper is a pastor who speaks at Passion uh, like every year. And he said this about worship a few years ago, and the quote will be on the screen. A mystery of worship is that it isn't about us, but about God. But God doesn't need our worship. We do. God isn't some insecure cosmic being who waits for his worshipers to remind him how awesome he is and how desperately they need him before he decides to intervene. God never changes, but when we worship, we change. We have been created in the image of God. And because we've been created in the image of God, we are called to reflect him and try to become more like him. And as a way of doing that, we also get to proclaim, we get to shout, we get to sing to the world who God is and how great he is and the kind of love that he has for us and the power and the might and the, this is who he is. We get to declare to the world and we do that through songs. It's also a response in gratitude because of what he has done for us. We can't not do this. Because we are so grateful, we have to, it's just this reaction that we have. We want to sing to him because we understand the kind of love and the kind of grace and the kind of power that he has. But singing praise to his name does not only happen through music. Let's keep looking at Psalm 66, starting at verse 5. Come and see what God has done, how awesome his works in man's behalf. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. He rules forever by his power. His eyes watch the nations. Let not the rebellious rise up against him. Praise our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. So verse 5, he says, come and see what God has done. And then he retells this story that is pretty well known about the story of the crossing of the Red Sea. Right? And he's like, has to tell this story. Right? So let me ask this question. This is a familiar story for many of us in the room. Take just a moment and imagine that was your story. Imagine you were there. You were one of the Israelites being chased by the Egyptians. The army is coming. You come to the Red Sea. You're standing on the banks. Next thing you know, Moses is grabbing his staff, lifts it up in the air. God parts the Red Sea, and you walk through the water on dry ground. How many times would you tell that story? At least one or two, I'm guessing, right? The psalmist is still telling the story because it was so good and because it tells a greater story. It's not just, oh, that was cool. It was, no, let me tell you about how big our God is. And as you read through the story of the Old Testament, actually, All the people groups are like, man, we heard about the crossing of the Red Sea story. We're scared of you and your God. Man, we heard about the crossing of the Red Sea story. We're scared over and over and over and over again. This story keeps coming up as a way to declare to the world the kind of God that the Israelites were serving. The story was too good to not share it again and again and again. Now, we... We have this a little bit in our culture as well, right? There's this thing that happens and we have to tell this story. This video you see and you have to share it and it goes viral, right? Or maybe when you're in middle school and you have, you know, this middle school banter that you have with like, you know, dorky middle school voices that you're really giddy about something. I don't know what it is, but um, so when I was in seventh grade, I went to a Christian school where all the kids were good Christian kids, right? And then we had a kid named David Sherman who transferred to the school. He was not that kid. Uh, he was a rebel and he liked to do things that we did not do and I thought it was funny. And so he would continue to do these things and I would laugh and I would tell all these others, you know, so one day we walk into the classroom and the, the classroom guinea pig, Ollie, uh, was colored in a permanent marker. I thought it was funny, and I immediately had to go tell my friend Brian, hey, did you see what David did today? You know? It's dumb, but we have these stories, right? Okay, so Michigan fans in the house? Any Michigan fans? Yeah? So last night, Michigan won a basketball game in dramatic fashion. And uh, Michigan fans in the house... How many times did you bring up that shot today? <laughs> Too, many. <laughs> Too many. Too many. Hey, did you see that? Oh, you didn't see it? Let me show you this shot that he made at the last second. It was amazing. Right? I mean, we do this. We have to tell the story because it was so amazing. I have to tell somebody. March Madness is dumb. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I hate March Madness. My, heart's broken. My heart is broken. <laughs> Moving on. Go green anyway. Thank you. Appreciate that. (laughs) Okay, so here's the thing, though. March Madness, okay, it is fun. But the story that we get to tell is far greater than any basketball game or any play that will ever happen in the history of the world. This is the story that we get to tell over and over and over again. We can't wait to tell stories of God's faithfulness. Uh, And then specifically, uh, the psalmist moves to verse 16. He goes from telling like the grand story of like parting the Red Sea. He says, come and listen, all you who fear God, and let me tell you what he has done for me. Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you what God has done in my life. Uh, This reminds me of a story of Jesus in Mark chapter 5. Turn to me to Mark 5. Most of Jesus' life and ministry took place in the Galilee region, uh, specifically along the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. I have a map here that might be helpful for you. Next slide. There you go. Okay, so most of his ministry took place in the north of the Sea of Galilee. It's kind of hard to see, but you see the triangle, right? There's three cities there that form that triangle, Chorazin, Capernaum, and Bethsaida. Those three cities would be kind of like the... The religious area, the religious Jewish people, they were hanging out in the area, and a lot of Jesus' ministry took place in the religious triangle, as they call it. So Jesus and his disciples, they're getting into the boat, and they're crossing over the Sea of Galilee, and they're going to the Decapolis region. The Decapolis was not the religious triangle. The Decapolis was the land of the pagans, People who did things very differently than the religious people up in the north. And so, I mean, when you think Decapolis, think Las Vegas. Okay? Or you think Decapolis, think what our culture usually thinks of college spring break. So Jesus and his disciples, they get in the boat and they're heading to the Decapolis. The disciples are a little anxious. This is the place our parents told us to never go. Jesus, are you sure? Can we turn the boat around now? And then we have this story. Mark 5, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. for he had often been, For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet no one was strong enough to subdue him night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones this would be a picture of the decapolis so the disciples get there and they're like yeah see jesus this guy's crazy we got naked bloody guy over here who's out of his mind right (laughs) And then, we're not going to take time to read this whole story, but this guy meets Jesus, has a life-changing encounter with him. And the next thing we know, this demon-possessed man is sitting down, he's clothed, and and he's in his right mind. Total life transformation in maybe 30 seconds. He was this, totally crazy, naked, bloody guy. Now he's made whole. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with Jesus. Okay, when I get to this part of the story, I'm thinking, of course Jesus is going to say, yeah, buddy, come on, let's go, right? Bless you. Verse 19, Jesus did not let him, but he said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Jesus said, stay here. Stay in the Decapolis. Stay in this region. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell your neighbors. Tell them about your story. Tell them how you just had this life-changing encounter with Jesus. Tell your story. That's all Jesus is telling him to do. Verse 20. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Come on, that's pretty cool, huh? And all the people were amazed. So we're not going to take time to do this, but if you were to look. Okay, first of all. Jesus says, go, stay here, tell your family, tell your friends, just tell your story. Jesus doesn't say, okay, the next thing you need to do is you need to go to seminary, you need to learn a lot of things, and then you can be equipped to become a good preacher. That's not what Jesus said. He said, just go tell your story. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell them what Jesus has done in your life. And the text says so he did. And all the people were amazed. A couple chapters later, Jesus comes back again to the Decapolis, and there's a small crowd that greet him when they step off the boat. Chapter 8. Jesus is in the Decap- in the Decapolis region, and there are 4,000 people who gather. And they go 3 days without food to hear Jesus and his teaching because they were so captivated by his message why were the crowds getting bigger as Jesus was hanging out in the Decapolis because the man went and told his story and all the people were amazed and eventually there was a church that was planted in the Decapolis region and then another and then another and then another this man told his story of God's faithfulness and it impacted thousands of people for generations. How about you? What is your story? What has your encounter with Jesus been like? When is the last time you shared your story with somebody? With your family, with your friends, with your neighbors, with the internet. I don't know. When's the last time you shared your story? Stories are just so powerful. Uh, I was reminded of this when we were on spring break. One of our traditions that we kind of have with campus ministry spring break trips is when you're with your team, you kind of share your, your stories with each other. And they're so Powerful. And they're so filled with hope. And there's this, oh man, you struggle with that too? Yeah, me me too. I resonate with that, but man, we can can walk together through this. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus in the process. There's something really powerful about sharing our stories with each other. Not only so that we can relate to each other, but ultimately that we can give praise and glory to God for the work that he has done and is doing in our lives. Here's the other thing. Many of us have friends who are not Christians. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a roommate, maybe it's you know, a friend from high school, or whatever. And maybe you've had these discussions or these debates about is Christianity true, or is it reliable, or can we really believe the words of the Bible, or, or whatever it is. And we can have these discussions, and we can have these debates, and I think they are helpful and fruitful and all these other kind of things. And they might try to argue with you, and that's fine. But what they cannot do is refute your story. Nobody could go to the demon-possessed man and say, that didn't happen. No, God's not real. That didn't really happen in your life. Nobody can go to you and say, your story is not true. Nobody can can go to you and say, Jesus didn't do that in your life. They can't refute that. And when I say, when's the last time you shared your story, I don't even mean like your full testimony, as we call them. When's the last time, I mean, we could share stories of God's faithfulness through his provision. Hey, you signed up for a spring break trip, you're really anxious about the price tag, and guess what, God provided. Have you shared that story with somebody? Or Israel, you're going to Israel in a couple months, anxious about that when you signed up, and the money has come in, and man... Let me tell you how God provided for me to be able to have this experience. Or maybe it's a a story where you needed to trust Him and you found that He was trustworthy. Or maybe it was a story of something that was really hard that was going on in your life, but you could see hope and redemption now in hindsight. Or maybe it's a story of gratitude. Stories of ways we've seen God at work throughout the week. What if we intentionally prayed for things like this? What if we really were trying to seek out these kinds of stories so that we could constantly be telling other people, hey, guys, let me tell you this really cool thing that God did this week. So several years ago, I don't really know why or how or anything like that, but I, I started praying for things like that. Man, God, I just want to have a lot of really cool God stories. And I don't say that to, to boast or to brag and say, hey, look at me. I say that because, man, I I seriously have so many stories. My sister says to me all the time, how do you have so many stories? You could write a book. I'm like, I know. That's cool, huh? Right? So I'll give you one. Stacy and I were living in Jerusalem. We were married. And we were moving back to Michigan, um, you know, in the summer of 2008. We came home for Christmas. And it was a Saturday, and Stacy said, "Hey, have you ever thought about like where we might want to live when we move back, you know, to the states or whatever?" I was like, "No, I haven't thought about it. It's like six months away." And uh, she's like, "You know, I was thinking. I really like this neighborhood in Zeeland, Michigan. It's kind of this cute, quaint town. They have these cute houses with you know front porches and stuff like that. Can we go look at some houses?" Sure. So we went on this little drive through Zeeland, Michigan, on a Saturday. And we drove past this one house that uh, Stacy knew the owners. She's like, isn't this house really cute? It's got this front porch and yada, yada, yada. I'm like, yeah, it's a cool house, you know, but people live there, you know. Um, (laughs) The next day, we're at church, and the owners of that house were standing in front of us, and we did the, you know, turn around and say hi to the people by you or whatever. And they turned around to us, and they said, hey, have you guys thought about where you're going to live when you move home from Jerusalem? I mean, we thought about it, you know. Well, we feel like God's calling us to go move to Hungary for a year, and we were wondering if you guys wanted to live in our house. (laughs) Oh, the house that we just drove by last night? Yeah, we could probably do that. We could probably do that. So in the summer of 2008, we moved into 123 Park Street. Here's a picture of the house. And here's the thing that's really cool about it. So when we moved to Jerusalem, we sold everything we owned. All the furniture. I sold my bed. I sold my dresser. I sold my car. We came back. We have zero dollars. And I'm not exaggerating. We have zero dollars. And we have no furniture. We have no car. A fully furnished house with a gray minivan for us to drive while they were gone. (laughs) It's pretty awesome. And that is the kind of God that we serve. And I could tell you a story about the next house we lived in, the yellow house in Holland. And I could tell you a story about the next house we lived in back in Zealand again. Another family that was going to be missionaries for a year and they needed... And the house we live in now, I could tell you that story. I have two boys. Show the picture of the two boys. Jade and Eli. I love them with all of my heart. They are both adopted. And their stories are mind-blowing to me even today, and I could talk for at least an hour about each of them and all the ways that God's fingerprints were all over their stories. And I don't say this to boast or to brag, but just say, man, you guys, God is alive, and he wants to do more than we can even imagine in us and around us all the time with regular daily life activities. It doesn't even have to be these really big Red Sea moments. What are the stories of God's faithfulness in your life? Here's what we want to do tonight. The band's going to come up and they're going to play a song. And while they do this, we want to give you guys a few minutes to think of a story of God's faithfulness in your life. We have pieces of paper and pens on the outside aisles under the green chairs. So if you're on the outside aisle, if you guys would grab that stack of paper and kind of pass that in, uh, that would be helpful for us. Here's what I want you guys to do. I want you guys, while the band is playing this song, try to think of a story where you have seen God's faithfulness and just write it down. It can be three or four sentences. It doesn't have to be long. We'd rather have it not be that long, actually. Just a quick snapshot. This is how I've seen God's faithfulness in my life. What's a story that you just have to tell or that you could tell or that you want to tell? Or maybe you are getting this piece of paper and you're like, I can't think of anything. And that's okay if you can't think of anything. Maybe just write down a prayer and asking for God to reveal Himself to you in a way where you could have a story to share. And if you do have a story, think about what are the ways that you could share that this week. How could you share it this week? Is it a social media post? Is it getting coffee with a friend? Is it writing a letter? Is it making a phone call to a former you know, youth pastor or whatever and say, hey, I just want to tell you that God really used you to impact my life in these ways. There's ways that we can tell stories of God's faithfulness so that God can get even more glory and that his... Um, we can sing praise to his name, not just through song.